0: Organizations like General Motors and eBay and down on Bradstreet and Verizon and these massive institutions awakening to the nuance of managing through networks is the power of transformation. And it's true for anybody who's listening to this as well. Your ability to succeed is your ability to manage through your networks. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord. Fail trying rather than fail watching. That
1: was a million dollars, over a million dollars lost. Just dream it, say it out loud with your words and then unicorns arrive from nowhere <laughs> and they just make everything easy.
2: A podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord and on the show today we have New York Times best-selling author Keith Ferrazzi as he explains the power behind co-elevation, what truly makes a great leader and why vulnerability can be your best asset. Today's podcast is not only exciting because we have the great Keith Ferrazian, best-selling author, but also because we have a guest host today, Jordan Smallwood, Vice President, Premier Speakers Bureau. Sometimes to give a podcast a little life, you got to get somebody who is younger, more charismatic, better looking, and Jordan certainly fits that bill. Uh, great guy, worked with him for a number of years. Because he's in New York, based in New York, he's able to connect with a lot of people that I can't hear in Nashville. So uh, please put your hands together quietly behind your desk or while not while you're driving though for Jordan Smallwood.
1: Keith, you wrote one of, if not the most uh, successful and widely distributed business books uh, in the last 50 years. Since you wrote Never Eat Alone, what have you been working on?
0: You know, it's been interesting. Never Eat Alone, of course, is a book about how critical networking is in our lives, how critical building that strong network is to creating opportunity for yourself, whether you're a A high potential young leader like I was uh, growing up from a poor kid in Pittsburgh, you know, becoming the chief marketing officer of Deloitte and Starwood hotels, crazy stuff like that, which is what the book is about. Um, or whether or not you're a sophisticated executive, you know, networking to understand opportunity, et cetera. What's happened though, very interestingly, over the last 10 years is the world has become so radically matrixed and virtual that trying to get stuff done is so far being able to rely on your silos, you know, the, the authority you have, the resources you have available to your disposable. For anybody to get anything done, you have to work in a network. So it's not just finding opportunities for new jobs, it's actually how you get stuff done. So the network and navigating the network has become the new currency of productivity. And to just achieve Basic movement, change management. Now it's interesting with the world transforming as fast as it is, your ability to lead without authority, to manage your networks, that really is the predisposition of the people who will succeed in this planet. So I've woken up 10 years after writing that book about networking to realize that our work and our research over the last 10 years is really at the core of the transformation of organizations like General Motors and eBay and Dunham Bradstreet and Flextronics and and Verizon and these massive institutions awakening to the nuance of managing through networks is the power of transformation. And it's true for anybody who's listening to this as well. Your ability to succeed is your ability to manage through your networks.
1: I've heard you use the the word co elevate, and yeah. I want to I want to hear a little bit more about that and 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 uh, hear your take on on this. Uh. Yeah, it's the
0: basis of my next book. My my again, there are old ways to think about. Um, how you get stuff done. And collaboration was always a word that was thrown around. But what collaboration was really in the past is you had something you wanted to get done. You figured out pretty much what you wanted to do. Then you went out and you got buy-in, right? And that is a very different philosophy than what I think is needed today. Today, the, the need to engage others, even in the ideation, in the creation of what you're going to do, is so critical. I mean, when I was at Starwood Hotels, do you think we could have ever created Airbnb? Yet, you know, I guarantee you, we had a young Joe Gebbia somewhere in our organization who could have thought at that level, or we could have found somebody outside. And we were so scrambling to think within the box of our controls that we never really opened the aperture of who we invited into the creation process. So co-creation Not just collaboration, but co-creation becomes a critical component of us creating breakthrough ideas. Now, the other thing that's happened during that period of time is that that my development as an individual, how do I grow? How do I adapt? How do I learn? In the olden days, if I worked in a company, I got that from my manager. But the reality is that my manager doesn't even see the stuff I'm working on. How are they going to coach me? How are they going to elevate me? And chances are my manager is out of the loop of the next generation of stuff that I need to learn myself. So I need to begin to learn through the network as well. So creating those learning networks and extracting from the network, which also is a different contract. If you walk into a room of people ready to co-create, you either can or can have or not have the hat on that says, give me feedback, develop me, push me, right? And and if you open yourself up to co-development, so co-creation and co-development, ultimately is the formula for what we call co-elevation. Co-elevation is when a group of people that you have formed are committed to the same mission and committed to each other. Committed to the same mission and committed to each other and we call it going higher together. That is the future of org design. That is the future of success and the great leaders whether they are dubbed leaders with a title or not is irrelevant. The great leaders are the leaders who are capable of inviting people in to co-elevate.
1: Can you talk about, uh, with a with changing workforce, uh, w- w- managing talent right now is different than it's ever been. Um, and as you look at the future of work, w- how do you see, what are some trends that you see, and, and how are companies uh, adapting?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, as uh, soon as you start talking about managing talent, et cetera, it becomes open season to poke fun at the millennials. And that's just silly, because the, the millennial population demands of employers today what the world of work is, is evolving into. You have to create a work environment of purpose. You have to create a work environment um, of flexibility. You will create a work environment where individuals are constantly developing and growing and can come and go as they want. And you know, the reality is that is the world of work of the future. And to me, all the more reason for co-elevation is critical because if I'm going to lead, I cannot assume that because a person reports to me that I'm their leader. I have to earn the permission to lead. Now, if someone doesn't report to you, all the more true that you have to earn the permission to lead. In the olden days, the the pressures were low enough from the outside that you could uh, get most of what you want to get done through traditional boundaries of authority and control. You can't do that anymore. So leading without boundaries, leading without a sense of authority, leading without uh, even ever imagining you have the resources. We're, we just started a project with the World Bank. And the World Bank used to be an institution that had X number of dollars, just you know, call it a billion bucks, to invest in projects around the world, co-invest with governments, etc., in projects around the world that would end poverty. The role of a World Bank employee, let's say 25,000 people out there, someone sitting in a country in Myanmar, will be to decide what projects to apply my $20 million that I get to apply to. Well, guess what? Do you think a billion dollars is gonna make a scratch in poverty in this world? It will not. And Dr. Jim Kim, who runs the World Bank, recognizes that um, for the World Bank to truly be transformative, their money, call it a billion bucks, is, needs to seed an ecosystem of other people interested in investing along with them so that they could create trillions of dollars in access to programs that will change poverty. So now imagine the person sitting in Myanmar who instead of sitting back, you know, deciding where to put my money and being a big shot, this person is humbly going around enlisting other people's money to work with them in partnership to create a bigger ecosystem that, so that someday maybe even the World Bank's money doesn't even need to be there. In order to continue to fund, uh, you know, a fishery in Myanmar or 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 you know water wells in Africa, so that is a shift, and it's changing the world and and awakening to how does one walk around enlisting others to co-create and co-develop. That's the trigger to the transformation of society. Now imagine if this was going on in D.C. today. It's not going on in D.C. and I don't care what political side you're on, left or right, you will have to acknowledge that. The world needs co-elevation. To fix our problems, we need co-elevation. We don't need uh, stigmatization and digging in our heels. That's not the abundance that uh, that's called for. You work with a lot of companies. You work with
1: a lot of organizations. Uh, can you tell us an example, and, and um, you can it, it can either be someone you work with or, or not, of, of a company who really gets it? They get it right now uh, in, in what you've been talking about.
0: Well, I think General Motors has done an extraordinary job. Um, We started working with General Motors coming out of bankruptcy and focused predominantly at the time the transformation of the North American uh, organization and their relationship with dealers. They needed to co-elevate with the dealership community to transform the company. That is not the relationship they had going into bankruptcy. And then you've got a leader coming along like Mary Barra who just wowed the world in, in what she did in the crisis and how she has subsequently led that organization and fundamentally opened the organization to you know, to candor and transparency um, and dialogues that were heretofore not had because she had the courage and the empathy and the empathy to listen and care. Um, that's an organization that has really made a major transformation and it, and it shows. I mean, people coming out of bankruptcy, uh, the lion's share of their own organization wondered whether they would go back in or not. And here we are today with a thriving organization, and it's not to say that, you know, they're not without their own challenges. You know, what what a self-driving car is going to do to the General Motors organization, etc. All of these things are still in front of them, but I got to tell you, they're in a much better position than they ever were before. Um, you know what I find sad, though, and have to be honest, is I look at an organization like Uber. Arianna Huffington is a dear friend of mine, and you know I've been speaking to her and members of the. Uber organization for a long time. And you know, it's it's a company that's one of the, probably the fastest growing company in the history of mankind. And you look at how they have chosen to scale, they're mirroring and replicating to some extent the models of General Electric. You know, you, you, you go to scale, you put more employees under another manager and blah, 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 blah. And yet I sit down with the head of culture at General Electric And they are desperate to find a solution that doesn't look like their own. And I am really saddened by the fact that so many of the most powerful, fast growth, important organizations of our day that will be, and are defining, I mean, Uber has the potential of redefining how cities are, right? And and yet they're clinging to old habits and old rituals and old design. And when I think in the reality is we need to abandon these with, with reckless abandon and start thinking fundamentally differently. Org design is not more silos, more people underneath, more managers. Org design of the future is the fluidity of an individual walking around with goals, aligning around the people that are necessary. Now, put technology. I mean, you take a look at a company like Workday, right? Workday, you know, and many other technology companies are still built. And I I don't know if anybody knows Workday. It's a large HR, uh, finance, et cetera, software firm. And it's one of the biggest, most thriving, fast-growing companies out there. But it still has a basic principle of an architect that you, you get your feedback from your manager. In fact, you don't. We need to start thinking about systems that manage networks. It'll look more like the Uber platform, right? Managing constantly evolving, mm-hmm. coming and going gig workers and what their needs are and how they're matched to goals and plans like a, like an Uber driver matched to your desire to get from here to there. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, I don't, you know, like I, I had started a technology company three years ago with an intention of really tackling this. And, you know, we, we, we meet, we met a lot of the hurdles, but ultimately I had to sell the company to another HR company because the world of HR doesn't like buying small applications. They, they go out and they buy the work day and they're like, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, unless it integrates into the workday, I'm done. But, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but I know the answer is not what I think we're seeing on our plates today. Um, so you asked me for some companies that get it. I've given you a few that, but there are a couple that it saddens me that they don't. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, Keith,
1: you wrote in one of your books, I, I read this in one of your books about uh, something you do, and I assume you still host these type of dinners, but uh, a dinner that you bring together um, people from different walks of life, interesting people, uh, and, and you create um, a dialogue and, and you create uh, an, a place for them to interact. Coincidentally, I'm actually hosting one of these dinners soon, and uh, I would love to uh, hear kind of your thoughts on on how do you create that meaningful conversation in in, in a room like that?
0: Well, Yes. So I, I have been facilitating and managing communities of people for a long time because my, my goal and objective is to have a million people co-elevating in the next two years. So my book comes out at the beginning of next year. And between the run up till then and now, I want to create co-elevation as principle in everyone's life. I want people to walk around living, inviting people in to co-create and co-develop to extraordinary success. What I learned a long time ago is those, the permission to give candid feedback, the, com, the permission to have accountability that is peer to peer, the commission to not, the permission to not let each other fail, uh, is only born on the back of, uh, empathy, empathy, and empathy is that bridge to that place where you really can have that relationship. What unlocks empathy is vulnerability. And it's not comfortable for people, but what I do at my dinners is I ask questions. I ask us all to start with just a quick update of what's going on personally and professionally in our lives. You know, my sister, if anybody follows me on Instagram, my sister has been struggling with cancer. And you know, I've turned into her coach around and her doctor's coaches to co-elevate. I mean, the doctors don't even talk to each other and yet they're doing things that are at odds with each other. And none of them seem to think that my sister's You know, diet and exercise is a critical component of the medicine mix. And, you know, so I'm working drastically to create co elevation around the ecosystem of my sister. And when I share that with people, you know, it's abridged empathy. It's my vulnerability. It's when I talk about my foster son and the challenges I have with him. Um, when I talk about the fact that in the last you know, twenty after twenty years I'm single for three years. But the the point is that this is where we as a society are are going and that we have to start to open ourselves to people quicker. You don't have working with somebody for 10 years under our belt that allows good working relationships. We've got to do it in a nanosecond. And empathy, vulnerability, connectedness, intimacy,
2: these are critical linchpins.
1: Keith, it's been an honor uh, to have you with us today. Thank you for your time.
2: Jordan, same thing to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more, go to beyondspeak.com, because adding the ING was too expensive. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part-time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in the third person. Additional thanks to special consultant and the pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of D & Associates. Thank you to the incredible voice talents of the Muy Profundo, Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder, Dwayne Ward, CEO Sean Hanks, and CIO Chris Gantt, simply because you need to thank powerful people. If you've listened this far, you clearly have nothing better to do, so why not continue on and listen to the next Beyond Speaking podcast?